Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. And welcome to this week's live stream of It's a Fandom Thing. I almost said this week's live stream of Moonlight. Oh. That's what we're covering. <laughs> <That's> not, <laughs> we're not called yes. Moonlight. Hear us cry in real time. <laughs> yeah. um, but we are kicking off our celebration. Hi, Bailey. We are kicking off our celebration of Pride Month with a discussion about the movie Moonlight. So this is going to be heavier than probably last week's episode <laughs> live streams, especially than the Bridesmaids one. So we we are going to have, you know, a great, great discussion tonight. We're going to have great discussions coming up this whole month. Quickly go over what we're going to be discussing this month during Pride. Um, next week, we are going to, well, on the next episode after this, that's not a live stream, we're going to be talking about Brokeback Mountain. So it's going to be another very light conversation. <laughs> Not at all. I've been watching that before we did this, so I'm a little bit like. Uh... I feel like a lot of this is going to be Aaron is sobbing month. <laughs> exactly, it's going to be me sobbing this month. Yes, <laughs> probably not when we. Well, no, I'll probably sob when we discuss Shit's Creek. What am I talking about? But we're going to be discussing Brokeback Mountain on the next episode. Our next live stream, we're going to be talking about George Michael, and we never get to talk about uh, musicians on here, which is very weird. I mean, we talked about Elton John last year. But it's weird since Aaron loves music so much. So for this one, I was like, we've got to get a musician. And so we are going to be talking about George Michael. That is going to be a ton of fun. Week after that, we are our live stream is going to be t- discussing a fanfic, which is something very different that I never thought I would do. But it fits with what the show's about, I guess. So we're going to be di- we're going to be discussing the fanfic 91 Whiskeys, which is a Destiel fanfic, Dean Cast from Supernatural. So you have a couple of weeks to read that fanfic. It's one that Carla and Meg, who are going to be on, only like just a tiny, teeny weeny yeah, bit. It's okay. Never mention. Carla never mentions. It. That should be one of the bingo squares. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't think it's really been brought up that much on here. But No, it's just we talk about it so much to you. 
whether you want to hear it or not, on any platform in which we sh we share communication. Yes, that's that's very true. Yeah. So look for that, and then the week after that, we are still working on it. So hoping, fingers crossed. Also, if you know any local drag queens local to Colorado that might want to be on here, even if they're not local to Colorado, that's perfectly fine too, since it'll be, and if they're fine doing a live stream, then they can contact me. And then they're, well, then we're going to be talking about various other things that aren't going to be on the live stream. So we're also going to be revisiting Shits Creek and revisiting Queer as Folk. We're going to be talking about Orange is the New Black, which I have a lot of opinions on that show that aren't positive. Warning. Lots of them. I never finished the show, so I'm finishing it right now because I was so angered by that show. So warning about that. Uh, but I don't know if my guests are going to feel the same way. And then we're also going to be talking about RuPaul's Drag Race, which is another show that I have never watched. So I'm watching that too. <laughs> so it'll be a really interesting, fun month, I'm hoping. So I'm hoping everybody will love it and get excited by it. If you have any George Michael songs that you want to give a shout out, that you want us to shout out next week, Please, please, please DM us. You can put them in the comments here and hopefully I remember to write them down. But just, you know, contact us about that and that'll be cool. Okay, so Carla, tell me, what are you into right now in pop culture? I am very into Lucifer's season five, part B, which just dropped on Netflix, except for the musical episode. But look, it's not because it's bad. It's because it's very, very bad. Other than that, I totally <laughs> loved it. <sighs> was okay. fantastic. So I didn't think I'd get to watch Lucifer for like a month. I was like, I'm not gonna be able to watch this. And if you don't know, Lucifer is our most popular episode of this show. And Queer as Folk has been competing for taking over that number one spot. I'm I'm secretly, even though I love Lucifer, I'm secretly hoping it does it by the end of Pride Month. Uh, but anyway, it's been competing, but every time it gets close, it's almost like Lucifer knows. And all of a sudden, Lucifer will get like a bunch more listens. So it's very funny. But I, I mean, you're up against the Prince of Darkness. So <laughs> I, like, I think you're asking for a lot. <laughs> I know. I'm like, okay. Uh, and we've done two Lucifer shows. I don't know if we're going to talk about this one just because our schedule is so crazy. So I don't know. I haven't decided yet. If people really, really want us to let us know and I'll try and squeeze in a time where we can just do a live stream discussing it. Probably not an episode necessarily. Because those ones always end up being very long. I, I, <laughs> but anyway, but I did, I did end up watching a couple episodes, and I strongly disagree with Carla. I think the musical episode was amazing. I laughed so hard during that episode, and then the episode following it. But I laughed so hard. I thought it was really entertaining. It was what musical episodes of shows like that should be, which is just totally ludicrous and ridiculous, and it doesn't fit, but it fits. So I actually liked it. I don't know how I'm feeling about this season so far. It's kind of eh for me. But <laughs> I've already been spoiled by what happens in the end. So I already know what happens oh, in this season. I, I haven't gotten to, to the end yet. But my thing, okay, I love how they went about it. Because I thought that was really interesting. I really like their explanation for, you know, why it's working out that way. But it was the singing that wasn't good. Like, other but than Tom Ellis, it, I'm so sorry. It was pretty bad to listen to. Like if, if you if you me. like listening to music, <laughs> if you like listening to music and you prefer to listen to good singers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's what I liked about it. That's what I liked about it. So is that oh they worked. What I am into is the Friends reunion. I watched it last night. And I am Jennifer Aniston because Jennifer Aniston cried in, a minute in and I cried a minute in. And I kept crying. I mean, they had these people talking about how Friends has like saved their life, literally. And I started bawling. And <laughs> but if people know any know me, they know I cry very easily. So this is not necessarily saying that it's emotional, but it is emotional. So it was fun. So that's what I'm into. Okay, so we're going to get into Moonlight now. And I just want to say, um, and I've said that there will probably be mentions of homophobia. We are not going to be using that word on this because I we do not have the right to use that word. So we will not be using the F word on this. Just want to make sure everybody knows that. I don't permit that. That's not allowed. But this movie does have some homophobia in it. So we will be probably talking about that if that's triggering for you. Self-hatred, self-loathing, abuse, neglect, drug use. Those are all topics that are discussed in this movie. So they may come up in here. So if those are at all triggering for you, just a warning about that. There will probably be trigger warnings for Brokeback Mountain as well, for sure, for Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> so, okay, so let's get into Moonlight. So Carla, did you first watch this when it was out in 2016 or well later? I did. So, okay. So my mom is on in AARP and they have access to movies, although that, you know, passes mm -hmm. to screenings of movies and either usually I'll go with her or my other sister will go with her. So she's like, Oh, Hey, there's Greeny Moonlight. Do you want to come? I'm like, yeah. So we go. <laughs> and of course, like we're both having like this emotional experience in this movie theater. And we're both like, Aah. yeah. So I, I did watch it back when it came out. <laughs> It's the point. <laughs> yeah, I did too. And, you know, it was a it was a really interesting experience because, you know, it comes out pretty, I watched it pretty closely after the election in 2016. So everything, you know, felt and still does, uh, you know, very tenuous at that time and very weird at that time. And it was very interesting to watch this movie in particular when, the fact that the person who had been elected is a racist and is homophobic and is every kind of phobia out there. And it's just a horrible, despicable, awful person and all the people that around him and people that voted for him and all that kind of stuff. So it was really even more emotional, I think, watching it at that time. And so that just, I don't know, compounded on top of it, but I was really excited to watch it just because I had been hearing everything about it. And I'm, it plays also into my Gindi, Gindi. What is Gindi? I don't know what Gindi is. What is that? <laughs> I was trying what to say Gindi. <laughs> I don't I was like, is it a new color? Because it sounds like it would be a really hot color. Like, I'm really into Gindi. Show me a swatch. What's the Pantone number? I don't know what that, I don't know where that even came from. Because it, all I was going to say is I'm an indie geek. Maybe I was combining the oh, G com with the indie. <laughs> <laughs> but this movie plays into that. And I like, I like really depressing, very dark stuff. I just do. Maybe it's because I, I, I don't know. No wonder I cry all the time, but I really like dark stuff too. So I was just really excited to see it. 
it's one of those that I watch the trailer over and over and over again, watch, listen to interviews with Barry Jenkins and other people involved. And it was just, I don't know, I was very excited, but it was a very, very heavy emotional experience. Um, the closest one to it that I've had recently was watching Waves, where, and I know Bailey, I don't know if she's back on, but Bailey was watching this last night in preparation because Bailey is amazing. And and she said that this is a movie, you know, where you have to stay till the end of the credits. And that's the way I felt too. And that's the way I felt watching Waves as well. So it's that kind of same kind of heavy feeling. Uh, so those were, that was, so yeah, I saw it in 2016. I was blown away, just absolutely blown away by everything about it. Yeah. And especially the characters. I think uh, the characters are so well fleshed out and so well-rounded. And of course you see them through different stages of their lives, especially of course, Chiron, which we're going to talk about Chiron and his different iterations throughout the film, starting when he's a kid, all the way up to when he's an adult. And of course, these are all broken up into chapters. And so you've got chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. So we're going to focus on those and we may end up just going and, adding in the characters while we're doing the different chapters. So let's start with chapter one, Little, which is a nickname that Chiron has as a little boy. Uh, so what were your thoughts on Little? Well, first, I just want to say that it was amazing that they found three actors playing this one person who could all act in such a perfectly in sync way. Mm -hmm. To where the, it doesn't pull you out of it to say, oh, well, this is a different actor now. This is a different character. No, you can tell that there's continuity of spirit throughout the entire film. And part yeah. of it is because all of the actors have this manner of communication. Because Chiron is a very quiet character. He, mm -hmm. most of his acting comes through his body, certainly his eyes, Definitely, that's how most of the emotion, most of the story that he's telling is conveyed. So, again, the fact that they found three actors who could pull this off so seamlessly is just amazing. And, you know, it's it speaks well of the actors and also of Barry Jenkins as a director that he was able to evoke the same spirit throughout. But Chiron himself... You know, you, you see him and you just want to hug him and, and keep him safe. And that's one of the, I, I don't think that ever really goes away. Like no matter where he is in his life, there's never a point at which you're really like, I don't like this person. No, you're, you feel for him. You feel like, why does he have to go through all of this? Because he goes through a lot and from a young age, like he knows exactly what, his life is about at a very young age. He's uh, the first time that, that we see him. It's just after Juan finishes up a, a drug deal. Cause he's a mm -hmm. drug dealer in the neighborhood. And so you, you come off this scene of Juan making a, a drug deal. And then he just happens to look up and there's a little boy being chased by other boys. And that's how you're introduced to Chiron. He's running away from, a pack of, of kids calling him a horrible homophobic slur. And you can tell that it's not the first time. You can tell that this is something that is just part of his routine. He's not exactly, you know, 
uh, he's not, because he, he is small, you know, compared to the other kids, he, he's a small kid. And you find out that that's why they call him little. And so you're already set up to kind of cheer for and fear for him. So he's running all over Liberty City, finds uh, an empty apartment building, hides in one of the apartments and just waits, waits it out. And Juan comes and gets him because his, the way he sees it is like this kid needs help. You know, he needs to know that somebody's in his corner, that he's not alone, that that somebody can care for him. You know, like he, he really puts his heart out there for Chiron. And, you know, he tries to take him home. He, he, he feeds him at a, at a fast food restaurant, then takes him home because the kid won't tell him anything. He won't tell him his name. He won't tell him where he lives, nothing. He's perfectly happy to go with this guy because this guy is feeding him and he's being gentle with him. Um, and then when he gets to, to their house, he meets Teresa, who is just wonderful to him. But you barely know anything about him at this point. You haven't heard him even really speak. But there's a weariness that feels so much older than he is. Because he's like 10 years old. And, and mm-hmm. that weariness is just so much older than him. And you can see that, you know, eventually you meet his mother. You can see that that she's succumbing to a drug addiction and not making the best parenting choices when it comes to Chiron. He has it very hard at school because of the bullying. He makes a friend, which is wonderful. But, you know, it's, it's that tenuous childhood friendship where you're not really sure, like, are you really my friend? Mm-hmm. You know, how much can I trust you? So in that first part, but it's still my, my favorite part of the, of the film, my, my favorite act of the film, because there's so much hope in it. The scene where, um, where Juan takes, takes Chiron to the, to the beach to teach him how to swim is, it's definitely like my, my top two scenes. I can't tell whether it's like one or two, but it's in my top two scenes. So Barry Jenkins called the scene a moment of spiritual transference and he calls it a baptism. And that's exactly what it feels mm-hmm. like. It's this tiny moment in which we see all the love and tenderness that Juan has and his desire to teach this little boy to survive, to fend for himself. And it's particularly interesting because he's trying to save him from the world. And then eventually Chiron comes to find out that Juan is part of this world that's making his own life more difficult because the drugs that he deals are drugs that his mother ends up consuming because they're all part of the same chain. And that, that, but that scene at, at the beach, he teaches them how to swim. He, he, he's carrying him in the water. They're, you know, they finish their swim lesson. They're just sitting at the shore. And Juan tells them that he knew that this, um, this old woman back in Cuba who would say that black, bo- black boys in the moonlight, they look blue. And then he tells them at some point you have to decide for yourself who you're going to be. And first of all, like the poetry in Black Boys in the Moonlight, they look blue. And then telling him, giving him this hope. It's beautiful. It's it's a beautiful moment in the movie. And for me, um, I just love looking at Chiron, looking up at Juan. Mm-hmm. But 
that all of that kind of ends abruptly when Chiron is at Juan's and he he's just been through a, another ordeal with his classmates. His mother has just called him that horrible slur too in their house. So he runs to Juan's and asks Juan and Teresa, what is, you know, this mm-hmm. word that they're calling him? Now, the beautiful part there is that Juan tells him it's something that people say to gay people to make them feel bad, which is the best thing you can say to a kid because it doesn't say, well, you know, it's because, you know, gay people are bad, therefore, da da da. It, it just, it takes all of that, it takes that burden off of Chiron. It's like, it's not the person on the receiving end, it's the person who was saying it that's wrong. But then Chiron asks him, do you sell drugs? And Juan just kind of kind of goes still and he's like, yes. And then Chiron, Chiron says, and my mother buys drugs. So he's, he's making this mental connection himself. And then he gets up and he leaves. The devastation in that scene in, in Juan's face when he's like, because he's known all along. I mean, he, he himself confronted Chiron's mother for drug use. But the devastation on his face when, when he's confronted by Chiron himself, by the product of the life that he's putting out into, into the streets. Wow. It, it's just, it's amazing, really, the acting and, and the, the blow to your heart after all of this, like, hopeful, beautiful, poetic mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, the best scene in the whole movie all of it because even though it's really heartbreaking and it's devastating, it starts off so beautifully because it's, it's basically like, and, and we're going to get into Juan more as well. We can even start talking about him now too, but Juan is such an interesting character because usually when you have drug dealers in a movie, the drug dealer automatically is going to be portrayed as this very evil, awful person and that they're cold and they're hard and they have no heart and they don't care about people. And that's not who this person is. He happens to be a drug dealer, but that doesn't define him. That doesn't take away his humanity. He still has humanity there. And you can tell that in the way that he takes in Chiron and he wants to care for him instantly and wants to protect him instantly And so then you have this scene where you have this young kid asking if I am this slur word, if I am this, and then having someone say no and saying you might, you might be gay, but you're not this because this is a hateful word that is used by people who have hate in their hearts for you, for for people because they can't understand things or because they're just hateful, horrible, homophobic people. So making that distinction and not having every single person in his life call him that slur or having every single person in that life judge him. And for a movie to take a character like a drug dealer that you see so stereotypical in things being the person who would use that slur all the time and to have that character be the opposite was so incredible and so amazing and such a beautiful, wonderful choice. 
And yeah. I know a lot of this movie is drawn from personal experiences. Um, I know both Barry Jenkins and Terrell Alvin McCraney, who we should really, really, really give a big shout out to here, who this was an unproduced play at one prizes that he he made he wrote this play and some of this is from his own life from his struggles growing up struggles growing up with the, um, the mom that he did uh, there's a wonderful interview um that if you search on uh, cherry gross with uh, barry jenkins and terrell mccraney and it's just a wonderful beautiful interview i know i shared it with bailey and i know bailey listened to it um earlier and it's just a great great companion piece to this and that's why they gelled so well as they had some of the same experiences, both of them. But that's why it was so great to not play into stereotypes, to buck that the stereotypes. And yeah, like Bailey says, I sobbed for Chiron to have such supportive adults in his life from such a young age. Yeah, and it's sad that it's uncommon. It's also sad, though, that he had so many things that counteracted that. And mm-hmm. so even though he had that, he still had so many things pushing against him and abusing him and hurting him that it made it all the more tragic that he could have had this amazing supportive life. But he also had other things that were just pushing against him. And to me, the character, and, and I agree, I think Little is also my favorite chapter I think all the performances are great. I think the performance uh, in chapter two, I think Chiron in chapter two, that's my favorite performance actually is the teenage version of him. They're all great. And it's amazing because Barry Jenkins wouldn't let any of those actors meet each other because they wanted them all to be organic, which makes it even more amazing because they all do these, the same kind of look with their eyes. Yeah. The same kind of haunted lost, lonely. They're so lonely. It's just, he's just such a lonely character who. And we'll get to the ending scene later because I don't want to talk about it right this second, but who just craves affection and just needs some kind of affection, some kind of love. I mean, you have the scene in part one with his mom just standing there yelling at him. You don't hear the words and he just stands there kind of looking down and kind of like shell shocked and almost like he's in the eye of a hurricane. And this hurricane's just whipping him around and beating him. And he can't escape it. And it's something that kind of just characterizes his whole his whole life. Person that's walking around with like an open sore. And everybody well, keeps pouring feels, salt into the wound. Yeah, it, it feels a chance to heal. More like a slap from somebody that you didn't expect it from. Because, yeah, his mother may be neglectful. She may be addicted to drugs. But up until this point, she hasn't been directly awful to him you know she she's she 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 isn't shown to be like a particularly warm mother or or even a particularly present mother but up until that point where she takes her frustrations out on Chiron and this is you know this comes off the heels of her being lectured by by Juan about what a bad parent she is so and she goes back to the car and, and keeps getting high with her with her boy with her boyfriend and um encounters Chiron at the house. And that's when you have that 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 silent scene where you don't see what she's saying, but you can definitely make out a word that very that homophobic slur. 
as she's shouting at Chiron. And then the next thing is Chiron asking Teresa and Juan about that word. But it, it definitely, as awful as she has been up until that point, this is like an escalation in her terribleness as a parent. Because now she's like directly pulling him down by her own hand. Because I don't know, it, it's hard to really state it very clearly, just that neglect is awful. And it is part of abuse. But it's almost worse when the parent that you wish would be there for you actually looks you in the eye only to tell you that you're awful and that you're a burden of some kind. So so that's what it felt like, just like a, a betrayal on top of a betrayal. Yeah, and I'm not even just talking about his mom when I say that with pouring salt on the wound. I'm talking about everybody around him except for Juan and Teresa. Although when Juan does say he does sell drugs, so he's contributing in some small manner, he is contributing to the thing that is keeping his mother at a distance. And that's how it's viewed. And Juan hates that he's doing that. And that breaks his heart. Uh, So it's almost like he's got that one, those, the person that he looks up to as a father figure, as someone who can care for him, who shows him tenderness right from the get go and accepts him and isn't going to call him that homophobic slur. And then he's also got this woman who's not going to call him that. And then to find out that they might be helping to contribute with the fact that his mother isn't really there is like just more salt on that wound. He's just like this walking wound. And it's so hard to watch because you know how beautiful he is. You can tell how beautiful and sensitive and sweet he is. And it's very hard to be a person who is shy and who is quiet. And then if you also have on top of that, you don't have anyone that's showing you any kind of affection until you meet Juan and Teresa. And so you've got all these people that are kicking you around and pushing you around and you already feel so different. I mean, he already is struggling with the fact that he feels different. And one of the, my other favorite scenes though, is the dancing scene when it's just him, when he's dancing, because you see this moment where it's like, oh, I'm a kid, I'm free, and I'm expressing myself and just spinning and spinning and spinning. And it's absolutely so beautiful. I just want to read what Bailey said about, about the mom. Um, I think the fact that he stays with her through this through the second chapter uh, supports the fact that it's a slap from someone you weren't expecting, quote unquote, he stayed with her because he cared. Did she? Yeah, I think he definitely well, cared. I think, yeah. He, he definitely mm-hmm. cared, but moreover, what options did he have? Yeah, that too. He, he's, a, mm-hmm. he's a kid living in poverty. The system is not designed to care about kids like him. He's a black kid. You know, this isn't a system that, that's like, oh, we're sorry that you're, li- that you're living in a neglectful, drug-filled environment. Let us place you somewhere better. No, I mean the options are not good for black for black kids, particularly black boys mm-hmm. living in those situations. It may have turned out worse for him, frankly. Not to say that this isn't awful, but like it's not like he had a, a wealth of options. I think even if Teresa and Juan had been willing to, you know, attempt to adopt him or something, how does that work when he's a drug mm-hmm. dealer? It, yeah. It's it's not a matter of him choosing to stay with her. Although he does love his mother, 
it's a matter of him having no choice. And that's one of the, the themes that plays throughout the, this movie is that how much choice does he have in how his life goes? Juan is telling him that you need to choose who you want to be, but how much choice does he actually have in the matter? Mm-hmm. So, and, and we'll get into that more when in the teenage, um, in the second part, but, but yeah, it, it's, he undoubtedly, he, he, he cares about his mother and whether she cares about him or not is frankly irrelevant because at this point she's dealing with an addiction and she's not um, prepared to cope with, with being a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I said, it's not like he's not a blonde eyed blue. Uh, he's not a, a, a blonde blue eyed little girl who will probably be adopted quickly if he were to go into the foster. So it's a, a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he's living in, in a city that is Liberty city is known to be one of the poorest cities in the country. And I know when they, they filmed it there, they filmed it in Liberty city and everyone there because of the way that that city is treated and kind of left behind and thought of as quote unquote trash, because that's the way people think a lot of times they were very, very, very reluctant. They were very weary, but they got used to it. And I know, um, can't remember which actress it was who said it was one of the most amazing filming experiences because once, once this, once, um, the, the residents of Liberty city, went, okay, this is okay. They're not here to trash us. They're not here to make us out to be scum or make us out to be less than or anything like that, like other people might have, or this isn't going to be like a white savior type movie or something like that, that she said it was the most welcoming and wonderful experiences she's ever had making a movie. Um, So, yeah, so that's another reason. And of course, I mean, there's that one documentary on Netflix about, the boy who was so physically tortured until he was died and how he had people involved. People were called, people were notified and no one did anything. Nothing was done. And our system is so messed up. And yeah, if you are not a pretty little white kid, no one's going to get, give two craps about you. Um, sadly, so no, I wouldn't have, yeah. and especially, yeah, especially in an already overwhelmed and underserved community like Liberty, Liberty City. I mean, there's this this notion that okay, well, if if things get bad, we'll just call the police and they'll save you from it, or if you know if your kid is being mistreated call child protective services and and they'll take care of them and really treat them well. And, Oh my gosh, I wish that were true, but it is Mm -hmm. absolutely not. And heaven forbid, you know, the the one takeaway that still seem doesn't seem to have sunken in for a lot of white people is that the police, the uh, child protective services, um, a lot of these institutions in which we place a lot of faith, are not designed to serve black people. They will in fact sometimes go out of their way to do the opposite. Or in the case of, you know, with, with CPS is also partly because they're so overwhelmed and understaffed. You know, there are people who genuinely want to do good things for people 
but you know, it, it's 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 a bigger discussion than I think we could really yeah cram in here. But but I, I think it's uh, it would be nice. Is all I can say about that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I want to point out another thing that I was looking at the, the trivia. It's kind of another way of uh, going against stereotypes. Is you see guns occasionally in this movie, but you never once have a gunshot. There's never once gunfire. There is some violence in this movie, of course, but there's never that. And that's pretty incredible when you have a movie where you are featuring a drug dealer and where you're featuring a drug addict and it's taking and it's an all black cast and you don't ever have that. That's pretty remarkable, which goes again to, but the reason it's, remarkable and the reason it was probably done is because you have a black director you have a black writer you have i mean when you have that once again you have to have that representation so that the the true stories can be told and so that it's not all stereotypes so let's go ahead and i want to briefly before we move on to chapter two to chiron which is the title of chapter two i want to just briefly touch on kevin because kevin is another constant in Chiron's life. Kevin is the only person when he's little. And of course, we're going to talk about the heartbreaking thing that happens in chapter two, but he's the only person in his, in his world of kids that you see at least that actually likes him and actually tries to be his friend. So what were your initial impressions of Kevin? I, I really, you know, my, my heart broke in the, in the Chiron portion of the, of the film, the teenage um, portion. But initially he's just another kid and he just sees Chiron as another kid. And he tries to help him by saying, you know, you're, you're a soft guy and I get that, but you can't let them see it. You have to be able to, to stand up to them, you know? So Mm -hmm. he, um, and he's like, I know that you can because Chiron always, he, he runs away, which, you know what? I'm not blaming him there. It's like several dudes against him and he's a small guy. Um, but Kevin offers to like fight him. He's like, Hey, let's fight. Let's see what you got. So th- they fight and Kevin's like, wow, you're actually pretty good. And so they, they're like, okay, let's go. And so as kids do, they go off and race each other. And it's very sweet. So, but I think that there's a lot of playfulness and sweetness in Kevin um, and at the same time, there's a desire to fit in. Mm-hmm. Kevin is somebody who I think that, that uh, Kevin is somebody who is probably bi or pan, but he's, he's definitely not straight. That's my thought. I don't, I don't think that, that he's straight either, but because he's also attracted to girls and he knows that it's more socially acceptable to sleep with girls, to be with girls. That's what he gravitates towards. And he's also very, he's one of those kids who can um, go and sit at any table that he chooses. You know, those are, mm-hmm. there are some kids out there who are just chameleons who can just, you know, go and hang out with anybody and anybody will accept them. And I think that that's great for him. But, you know, as we'll talk about it, it does end up being something that because of that, because he doesn't want to lose that status, he would prefer to do something horrible rather than to lose that status. 
Yeah, and you think in uh, on the onset in the first chapter and through most of chapter two, actually, you think with Kevin that he is like the one that is so confident and sure in himself that he's okay and he won't ever, he won't judge and he'll he'll embrace Chiron and he won't be like the other people who are picking on him and bullying him. And then, of course, it turns out differently. And I think I think that's very true of a lot of young people who are questioning their sexuality or questioning where they, and if they already fit in, it's very difficult for them to feel like, oh, it's okay if I am a little bit different because then maybe I'll lose that status and I won't be able to just easily hang with anybody that I want to. And I think that's where he comes from. And when we'll, when we talk about uh, chapter three, Black, we'll talk a, a lot about the fact that he's very different, very different. He's still the same, but he's very different and because of certain experiences. But yeah, because when you first meet him, you're like, oh, finally, he's got someone in his life. And you think that even through most of chapter two, or at least I did, where it's like, well, at least he's got Kevin, at least, I mean, his age group and his group of peers, at least he's got that. And then that gets ripped away too. So it's, it's very, very heartbreaking. It remind you know, it's interesting because watching this movie and then watching Brokeback Mountain, I had no idea really in my mind, not even thinking about it since Brokeback Mountain was like 10 years ago. I mean, 10 years from not 10 years ago, but it was 10 years from before, before Moonlight. Sorry. I'm trying to figure out my words there. Um, I couldn't think of the word before. Obviously. <laughs> But there are actually some similarities between the character of Ennis, Ennis in uh, Brokeback Mountain and um, and a Jack Twist in Brokeback Mountain with these two characters. It's funny because there are a lot of similarities in some respects where because Ennis is a very, very quiet character as well. Very repressed, uh, extremely repressed. And Jack Twist, on the other hand, doesn't seem to be that way although he's got some sides that are like that too. But so it was very interesting to watch this today since I hadn't, I hadn't watched Brokeback Mountain in probably 10 years, honestly, and watching it right after I'd watched Moonlight again, I was like, oh, there are some similarities here. So it's, I just wanted to say that really quickly because it's really hitting me now that it's interesting yeah. that we're covering two of these because I actually, that wasn't even in my thought process. I was just like, these are two very important movies, uh, dealing with repression and homophobia and gay men trying to be out and not being able to right. do it. But I think that also speaks to how universal the experience yeah, is exactly. of, of, um, of not being able to come out. And, you know, you have like all, all kinds of personalities mm -hmm. in any community. But I think that the, when you, factor in that you have to hide part of who you are um, in order to just like make it through the day without getting beaten up. A lot of people will, will react similarly across, you know, in this case, across movies. And decades. That was the other thing that struck yeah. me because Brokeback Mountain is the sixties mm -hmm. and this one is more present. It's present, pretty much present day. It's like, but right. it started in the nine. I can't remember the exact year it starts, but the, but it's more present day than Brokeback Mountain is. So that's the other thing that's striking is it is it's the same struggle decades later, too. So, yeah. OK, well, let's move on to chapter two, which, of course, is titled Chiron. And this is 
Chiron in high school and as a teenager and some of the same struggles and very painful, very painful chapter. Um, mm-hmm. Some beautiful moments, but painful. So what are your overall thoughts on this chapter? You know, we, we move on from the childhood and him being called little, little and into his teen years and really nothing has changed for him when we move into this other than things getting kind of worse because you know, he's still lonely. He's still too different. He's still living with his mother. Her addiction has worsened to the point where, you know, like it, when we saw the, the first chapter, Chiron walks in one day and the TV is gone. So now they moved into a worse apartment into worse circumstances because his mother is like, she's just so high all the time that she can't even really keep anything straight. She's shaking him down for money, you know, which Teresa helps him out, gives him money now and then just so that he can, you know, eat a hot meal sometimes. And while he has become a regular at Juan and Teresa's, Juan is gone. Mm-hmm. And we don't even find out directly. It's just like a, a passing mention that Juan has has died. And so his, his, uh, his father figure is now gone. He doesn't have that same, because Teresa's fantastic and everything, but it's not the same as having Juan, even though, you know, when we left off chapter one, he's upset at, at Juan and at Teresa, he walks out, but he still was part of his life. We don't find out what happened to Juan. So it could be any number of things, but all we know is that he's gone. So like that, that anchor that he had, he no longer has. And now he realizes that he's attracted to Kevin, that he wants Kevin. And they have this beautiful moment at the beach together. He has his his first kiss and his first sexual experience with Kevin. And that's the first time that we see Chiron smile. It's the mm-hmm. next day, walking around school, just with his little smile on his face. And he doesn't look quite so haunted in that moment because all... Oh, the way through he just looks like um like he's constantly checking his back and constantly living under a cloud but for one moment he has that that bit of happiness and this is where we have what we were alluding to earlier with with Kevin because um Chiron is being bullied particularly by this one kid Terrell who just goes out of his way to to be awful to him and to physically uh, bully him. And so then Terrell goads Kevin into hitting Chiron, which is awful to watch. It's really awful to watch. But then Kevin is telling Chiron to stay down because he doesn't want to hit him. He's, you know, he's his friend. They had, this is like the day after they had that sexual encounter. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that he cares for him. He doesn't want to do this, but he's still doing it because he doesn't want to um, incur Terrell's wrath and possibly, you know, be outed, possibly just a, a lot of things that are not excuses, but they're reasons why he he beats up. Um, well, he doesn't even beat him up. He punches him a few times, tells him to stay down. But what happens when he stays down, Terrell and his friends viciously attack Chiron and 
you know, all, all that he, all that Chiron really wants is to be left alone. He just wants to be able to walk around with his head held high to just be who he is. If he can do without speaking to anybody, I think he would be perfectly happy as long as he could just be left alone. But after this, it gets even worse. The, um, the, I don't know if it's the principal or the guidance counselor or whatever mm-hmm. encourages him to, to press charges against these kids. He doesn't feel like he can do that. And I mean, there are a lot of reasons why you might not feel that you can do that. There's the, the stigma of being a snitch. There's, you know, he knows what can happen to a black boy who was started on the path of the school to prison pipeline. And more importantly, he doesn't want to do that to Kevin. Because as much as that that's a huge betrayal from Kevin, he still doesn't want Kevin to end up in jail or or worse. So he decides not to do it. And he goes home and he decides that's it, you know, that, that he's going to do something about it himself. He can't uh, he can't do anything through the authority. So he's going to take matters into his own, his own hands. He walks in with a determination that we've never seen from him before. He takes a chair, immediately walks up to Terrell and just hits him until he is, until Terrell is on the floor, not moving. And yes, it's self-defense, but that's not how anybody's going to see it. Moreover, again, we're dealing with a black teenager mm-hmm. who is never seen favorably by an authority. And of course, he's carted off in handcuffs and Kevin's just on the sidelines, like in disbelief that it went that far. But, you know, it's it's a scene that that's heartbreaking on so many levels, so many levels, because he had to take matters into his own hands because he's protecting Kevin. I think more than anything, he's protecting Kevin. He's also angry that he's been powerless all of this time, all of his life, constantly being picked on and bullied. And this, this was, you know, the last straw. He sees himself in the mirror and thinks, okay, is this how I want things to go from now on? And it's not like, like he's going to be pulled aside and taken to intervention and, and be scolded and, you know, you know, maybe suspended, expelled anything. No, it's directly to, to prison. And there's no in between because that's, you know, think about how many times a black child has been called, you know, a black man on TV or like this, you know, lurking black dude they don't care about who he is. They don't care about what happened the day before. None of that matters to a lot of people. It's just, he's a threat. He must be neutralized. And that's how a lot of, a lot of black kids are seen. And you know that whatever he may have wanted for himself, whatever Juan told him about, you know, you have to decide who you want to be. It's bull. It's a lovely idea, but Black boys don't have the luxury always of deciding who they want to be and then be able to pursue that because the system is designed to keep them down and to make it so that they can't, you know, like once, once they get out and they have a record, for example, like who's going to employ you, you know, like how are you going to rise in a company? How are you going to, 
just a, a lot of, of questions. So in the third act, we see like a lot of the outcome of that, but those are the things that, that swirl around in your mind when you're just watching the movie and you're thinking to yourself, I mean, I, here's the thing. I'm thinking to myself, like that's kind of the end of the story because I know what happens to to black indigenous people of color, particularly to black people and particularly to black men and um, and black girls, uh, black boys and black girls in this, that they're criminalized in a way that their white peers probably wouldn't be. We've, we've, you know, like the, the world is replete with stories of how this works afterwards. And it's, it's heartbreaking and it's awful. But for me watching this, like I knew the next quote unquote natural step, but I suspect that probably some, you know, some people, some white people in the audience may have been like, oh, that's awful. You know, like what happens after his court case? What happens after his lawyer gets him off these charges? You know, because clearly it was self-defense. No, there's no, that's not what, how law enforcement works. That's not how, how these things work. So yeah, those were my thoughts on the Chiron chapter. And I'm going to quickly go to a couple of things that Bailey has been saying in the comments first before I go over my um, thoughts which I could also just say ditto, but um, I have some other things I want to mention, but uh, Bailey says in that interview that I pointed out, the Terry Gross interview, which really, it's it's a really, really good interview. Um, they say how the man Juan was based on dies, uh, but I, but uh, Bailey thinks it is important to his character that we don't know. And that's very true. And it's important that we don't see that. It's important that we don't actually like see his body. We don't see like an act of violence that results in his death. Like once again, like I said, you never have a gun fired or shot at all. And that's very important to this. Right, but also I just want to say that it's also because black men also die of cancer and heart. Well, attack. Yeah, that too. Mm -hmm. So like, it's, it's the thing of like, it doesn't really matter how he died. It just matters that he did. Mm -hmm. But yeah. when you, when you see a movie about a black man dealing drugs, like, Oh, well, you know, he's probably shot. Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, he may well have been. It could have been anything else, though. Yeah, and I, and I mean, if it had been done a different way or done by a different director, but it would have been that. It would have been, or would have been, he went to prison and was in prison, and he got he was killed in prison or something like that. That would be how what would have happened. But it's important that we don't see that, that we don't know that, that it could be any reason that he died. He could have gotten sick he could have been in a car accident he could have been any number of reasons whatever however we die you know i mean people die of so many different reasons so it who knows how why he or what killed him and that is a good thing to know is that we don't know how he died we don't know what he died from we don't see him die um that makes the fact that the movie is already so tragic it's almost like it doesn't want to go into tragedy porn because it easily could have been like a tragic tragedy porn is what I kind of call it where it's like, okay, we're going to get off on more tragedy happening. And it's just very, I'm very grateful that that didn't happen. I also want to say if this movie had been done by white people, the characters of Juan and Teresa with the way they're characterized would have been white people. <laughs> 
and you would have had white people stepping in to save Chiron. So it would have been a little bit different, I think, in different hands. That's why, once again, it's important that it's not done by white people. Um, and then also Bailey says that um, when Kevin was beating Chiron was the most heartbreaking part of the story. And it's it's true. It's That's a very hard scene to watch. And when you watch that and you see how Chiron is determined not to stay down, it's almost like, okay, this is my moment of standing up for myself. Even though you are going to hit me, I'm not going to give you the privilege of seeing me back down. You're going to have to face the fact that you are willing to do this to me when you just showed me that affection just the other night. And now you're going to punish me for that affection. And you are going to go back on everything I thought you were, and you're going to betray me in this way. No, you're going to have to deal with that. And I'm not going to just lay down for you. And that's why I think that was so important that he stood there. It made it more painful and it made it more painful for Kevin but that was the point. And that was really the breaking point for Chiron. If that hadn't happened, and then of course what happens after that, we wouldn't have had what happened in chapter three, because I think that really is what breaks him. And then of course, the scene where he is soaking his face. And one thing I'd written down was there's a lot of scenes after that where you see him constantly putting his face in something cool or in water. Like you'll see him in chapter three. He like even puts his face like in the freezer briefly. Like he kind of just not like in all the way in, but he opens it, you know, like when you're trying to cool down and he does that a lot, or he's constantly like, you know, putting water on his face. So it's almost, I wrote down, not sure what that was supposed to necessarily symbolize. If it was even kind of some kind of other kind of baptism or if it was a way of waking himself up or cleansing himself or something like that. Uh, but it's just interesting to me that after that, it continues on and he, you see more scenes of him doing that throughout the rest of the movie. Um, but yeah, that was, that was such a heartbreaking scene and what followed. And then Bailey said when the adult at school was saying the things like we've all been there, uh, she uh, felt that that like that was so disrespectful because she certainly has not, not everyone has quote unquote been there. And yeah, yeah, that's true. And then what's also so heartbreaking about that scene is you see Chiron break down there and really start to cry and just be like, you don't know, you have no idea. You don't know what it's like for me. You don't know. And she doesn't know. And nobody really knows in this movie what it's like for him. And that's the saddest part is he's so alone. He's just so lonely. So yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 it's a movie that I think everyone really should watch. It's not the easiest movie to watch, but I think it's a very important movie to watch. Yeah. So, okay. So let's move on to the final chapter, which is titled black. And what we didn't mention in, in, Chapter two is black is a nickname that Kevin actually gave Chiron. And that's what Kevin calls Chiron. And so let's talk about that. What are your overall thoughts on this final chapter where we get to see Chiron as an adult? It's fascinating. It's, it's like a full, full circle moment. And this is what Juan didn't want for him. Mm-hmm. And this is what Juan was trying to lead him away from. But again, once he picks up that chair and Terrell's on the ground 
and you know that he's about to be arrested and taken off and you know he's not going to have a lot of options after that there's not a lot of mercy for for black men in general let alone when they have a record so he's we're introduced to to black in this scene where like you said you know he the first thing is he's waking up from a nightmare about that moment moment with his mother in the hallway and like you said he sticks his face in um in a sink full of ice and water and that's i think he's come to see that as as a comforting thing you know like yes mm-hmm. it helped him you know when he was just beaten up and he was trying to get down the swelling in on his nose and his eyes but probably one of his best moments in life was that swim with Juan and that freedom that he felt that because that's what Juan really wanted for him. He wanted to, him to have freedom. He wanted him to have choice. So I think it's like a little bit of reliving that moment of freedom where, you know, you can just get your head underwater, feel like you're just you like no matter what anybody else wants to anybody else wants to think or say about you you're just you in that moment it's just you in the water and it's beautiful in a perfect moment and also the comment about black boys in the moonlight the fact that it was said to him at a beach there's so there's probably like a lot of of comfort that he takes in something like that beyond the you know the you know getting down your 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 eye swelling and closing your pores because if you want to close up your pores that's a really good idea but it, it's it's more that that comfort that and that memory and that closeness to juan but then you know we see a lot of similarities between him and juan at that point because he was his his uh he was the the, the one adult in his life who really tried to save him and yet he ends up walking a lot of the same footsteps he's wearing you know his direct exactly the same way that Juan did he is driving exactly like Juan drove he even has that that crown air freshener in his car exactly like Juan had the way that he's different from Juan is that he is alone he doesn't have a Teresa counterpart he doesn't have really anybody he's also different in that he's harder or at least he tries to um have a harder presence because even, you know, Juan with his, um, with his dealers was, he was a, a good manager. If you want yeah, to put it that he way. Was, so, he, was. he was a very good manager. Yes. Like he asked about your family. <laughs> he <was kind. laughs> yeah. He was kind. He probably would have offered a 401k and benefits if he could have, <laughs> but, but you get paternity leave, definitely. Right. Pay paternity leave. <laughs> Yes. Well, depending on, on, you know, he doesn't discriminate in in his hiring of dealers, probably didn't. Um, But, but black, which is what he's calling himself at this point, he's, he's different. He menaces his dealers. He scares them. You know, he's, he's purposely keeping people at bay now where before it was incidental because he was different and he was picked on and, his mother didn't really want him around and he didn't really have anybody. Now it's purposeful. Now it's like, I don't want anybody near me. He's getting that, that peace, those moments to himself by force, by, by making it so that nobody wants to be close to him. He's fine with that. And even his mother, he's 
you know, kind of hands off. And she's in a in a nice facility. She's, you know, she seems to to have gotten to the point where she can be sober. When she, when she she started actually doing or at least trying to do right by him when he left Juvie, she moved him to an area where, you know, he could get away from all of their previous influences. But still, again, you know, what does he know? What trade can he work in that he knows and that he has somebody who was a mentor to him? Well, that's that's drug dealing. So that's what he's doing now. And out of nowhere, Kevin calls him. You know, he's just living his his pared down life where it's just him and occasional calls from his mother insomnia leading to intense workouts in the middle of the night. Kevin calls him and the acting in that moment, in that scene where he's just Mm -hmm. this hard guy trying to stay aloof and just trying to stay alive by staying aloof. And he suddenly, you know, he shrinks down into the, 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 the young boy and the teenager that he was. And, Oh, like, Oh, I, I got I got tears in my eyes watching that because he he he's still deep down inside that soft person who just wants to be touched by somebody who loves him and who cares about him and, and who really sees him. And that person was Kevin, the same person who basically helped in ruining his life. But all he thinks of at that moment is that this is Kevin who he has probably been thinking about on and off for all of these years since he last saw him as a kid. And then his, you know, it, it seems like his only thought is I have to drive down there. He's living in Atlanta. He, he drives down to Florida, which let me tell you something about driving from Atlanta to Florida. Florida is the most boring state to drive in <laughs> because it's all straight roads, nothing to look at. We don't have mountains in South Florida. Is it more you know, boring than driving through Kansas? Have you ever driven through Kansas? I've never driven through Kansas, but I'm Ooh, willing to bet it's more boring than driving through Florida <laughs> because you have awful drivers and nothing to look at. Yeah, like you're so far from the beach. There's there are no scenic views. So yeah, so he's willing to take that awful drive down to, <laughs> to Florida just to see Kevin's face. And it's like, it almost feels like, like a fanfic moment, you know, where where the the guy who's been often brooding and he's been hurt and he just suddenly reconnects with his one true love. And so he drives all these miles to meet up with him in the diner where he now works because of Kevin works in the diner. Kevin was also put through the school to prison pipeline. He's uh, he was also imprisoned for, for some BS. And while there he learned to cook and that became his thing. So now he's cooking at this diner and you know, Chiron when when he gets there, he he pulls up with his 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 blaring music and his big car, and he gets out and he's like, "Yeah, I am a big, tall, and tough man. I am very strong, and I'm gonna make myself look extra nice for this boy who's had my heart all of this time." And it's really endearing because he's so shy and he's so awkward, and he has all of these awful words to say to his dealer. And he walks into that diner with nothing to say other than, yeah, and I guess. Or, you know, just mm-hmm. that softness is still in there. It's it's thrived and it's 
it's survived all of these awful things. And it's just beautiful to see. One of the things that I don't want to miss mentioning is that the incarcerations are mentioned in passing, just as Juan's death was. And it's because in Chiron's world and in the world of many young Black people, incarceration is almost as much a part of life as death. So it's, you know, call it tragic, call it sad, whatever, but it's, it's awful, but it's also a specter that's always kind of there. But as, you know, like we'll discuss the final scene later, but as far as, you know, well, when, when we're talking about Black and his reconciliation, not reconciliation, but his tentative relationship with his mother, mm-hmm. he's, he's finally gotten to the point where he's old enough, big enough, and, and um, not so scared to be alone that he can put the distance between himself and his mom. It's something that he couldn't do when he was younger. It's something that he's doing now. And yeah, it may hurt Paula, but frankly, like, what do you, what can you really expect mm-hmm. after you have done all of this to your son? You know, like, you, you put him in harm's, in harm's way repeatedly, and you can't expect him to just embrace you and be like, oh, mom, I've always loved you. Because guess what? He has. He's not going to express it now, maybe in the way that you want him to, but... God, you know, like don't just don't don't have like don't have so many expectations for somebody whom you've treated awfully in the the time that they were most in need of you. Mm-hmm. He was a child. He was a kid. He was being bullied. He needed his mother's attention and comfort, and that was not happening for him. Mm-hmm. So, as much as I, as a mother, understand that she wants that forgiveness and she wants that relationship. It's she really needs to take a couple of steps back and be like, okay, on your own time. Yeah, I she hasn't earned best. it yet. She no, she has it. not earned it. You know, a, an apology does not mean that you're immediately enti- entitled to the mm-hmm. forgiveness that you want. But as for Kevin and Chiron, it, it's, it's a very kind of cute almost rom-com kind of um, meetup when they're in the diner together. And Kevin plays a song that, of course, now I didn't write it down, so of course I can't remember it. I'm sure you remember what it is. Or not. <laughs> I failed at that, too. I wrote down the song, but then I mm-hmm. failed it. I was like, I've got to remember to write down the name of the song. And then I failed at that. But I did write down, you know, the music becomes more romantic. The music is more like from a different decade as well. Right. And it's, right. it's, it's the, the one that goes, like, shoo-up, shoo-up, my baby. Yes, I know. I can't Seems believe we like both failed at that. long time, which is a love song. And yes. the reason that. Song, yeah, the way they look at each other in that yes. that's playing is like a lo- it's a love scene. It's a love scene, yes. Mm-hmm. And Very you much. know, because Kevin is like, oh, somebody came in here and played a song that are, that made me think of you. So Chiron basically drives down from Atlanta to Miami to say, what song was it? <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns out to be like the, this this just sweet love song, and like your heart instantly melts, and it's just so beautiful and sweet and you mm-hmm. want them to like get married right then and there or at least I did but you know it's not a fanfic it's <laughs> as much as, as it felt like it at the moment it was like it's not a fanfic it's not a fanfic um yeah but yeah it, it was it was a really sweet moment 
Yeah, it was. It was. I'm just um, I'm just trying to figure out which which, which song that was because I'm so mad at myself because I'm the music person. And I very much I wrote down. I was like, music changes, music changes. <laughs> I was like, oh, Erin will totally have it written down. She's the music person. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't write the name of the song down, but I was like, I'll just write music changes to this theme. And then Listen, when they have the romantic moment. It's called Shabop, Shabop, My Baby. Ooh, it's been a mighty long time. Eh, close enough. Hello, Stranger. That's uh, exactly by it. By Barbara Lewis. That's it. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. Okay, which fits. Because Hello, Stranger, yes. they haven't seen each other. They haven't seen each other. Yes, exactly. So it fits. So it fits. Yay, we found that. I know. I'm so sh- ashamed of myself. I failed <laughs> big time. Because I wrote down a bunch of stuff about the music. Because I also, once we're done talking about this, I want, there's a couple other things. Like, I really want to mention the score. I think the score is that this movie is so good because it's not invasive. It's not intrusive. It's just, that's what makes it there. Perfect. Mm-hmm. It's just, yes. that's what a score should be. Yes. And unlike hitting you over the head with needle drops, this movie doesn't do that, which is also another good thing, I think for this one. But yeah, I, I, you know, I grew to appreciate Trevante Rhodes' performance even more the second time watching it. I think he's amazing anyway, but it's so amazing that these actors didn't sit in a room, that all three actors, the young kid, the teenage version, and the adult version of Chiron, that they weren't actually sitting in and going, okay, how are you playing this character? Oh, well, I'm playing this character. Oh, let's all just feed off of each other because you would never know it. I mean, yes, there are differences where, because of where they are in life, that they've changed. But there's always that sweetness and that vulnerability and that loneliness. Just every single chapter when I wrote down notes, I always wrote lonely, 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 lonely. And so that's a pervasive theme and you see it in the eyes. But even as the adult version of Chiron, even as Black, he still is holding his eyes in the same way. And that's why it's just, it just blows my mind. And I'm not sure if they got some kind of direction from Barry Jenkins, but he wanted them very much to not know how the others were playing the character. Right. (laughs) No, but but that's that's what, you know, I I just keep going back to that moment when Kevin calls him and this whole facade Mm. that he's been carrying around for who knows how long fades away completely. And all you're left with is a vulnerable young boy who is talking to somebody from his childhood and that loneliness is back full force and that vulnerability, that softness. Mm -hmm. And just thinking about it makes me just want to cry because you're you're back to just wanting to hold him and tell him that things are going to be okay. Yeah. Which is something at least for me, I want to do through this whole movie. It's like he's one of those characters where you're just like, oh my gosh, if I could just somehow make your life better and give you the life you deserve, which is to have an amazing, incredible life where everything is, you know, easy for you and beautiful for you and all that stuff. And, and of course that doesn't happen, but it, you know, it's very sad to me that I think Mahersha Ali, I think he's amazing. I think, Naomi Harris is amazing because though they were both nominated, and of course, Mahershali won for this, his performance as Juan. And I think Naomi Harris is amazing as well as Paula, but I just want to, but 
it just makes me sad that not a single one of the actors that played Chiron got nominated for this for the Academy Awards. I'm just looking to see if they got nominated anywhere else. They did an outstanding cast for Screen Actors Guild, of course. Mm-hmm. But I'm just briefly looking at that because they're all so amazing and so beautiful. And and like I said, it's just so seamless to me. You never, ever think this isn't the same character. And I think it would have been very easy to have the character of Black become just this completely and totally hardened where you didn't see any ounce of Chiron and that doesn't happen. Is it okay for the character for since we're talking about that, how they all kind of blend together? Is it direction? Is it screenplay? Or is it who the character actually boils down to? I think it's all three. Yeah. It's all three. I mean, you have to have all three working together. So you, you, you talk to about it. about a fortuitous thing, serendipity. And every now and then it's like you hear so many so many times the expression is lightning in a bottle. It's you, you couldn't replicate it if you tried. And that's absolutely true, you know. In what other universe can you come up with? these actors with this director with this uh screenplay with the the play from which it was off of which it was based and the music and everything and it's it, it just it's perfect and look even the, the moment in the the swimming scene where you know what we talked about with the baptism and and all of that mm-hmm. they initially thought they were going to have six hours to film this they ended up having like 90 minutes because Miami weather and it couldn't be more perfect. It couldn't be more perfect than the way that it was shot and delivered. It's, Oh my gosh. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's a miracle basically. Yeah. 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 I yeah, mean, there's I, definitely skill, but you still have like all of the, these lucky ingredients. Yeah. You still have to have that. Like, Honestly, making a movie, getting a movie made, it's a miracle any movie ever gets made because it's very hard to make a movie. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time just to get five minutes of screen time. Takes can take a whole day, depending on what's going on and different angles you have to shoot it at and different things like that. And when you're making an independent film, which I know this was also produced by Plan B, uh, which is, uh, of course, Brad Pitt's production company. But after things that I heard about um, Minari and uh, whether or not they actually were like very supportive as far as like giving them stuff they needed at the time, I kind of have a different thought on that because I want to say, really, I know this is total tangent here, um, but it's the same production company because I know a lot of people talked about when, um, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting her name? When um, the supporting actress from Minari, when she won, Mm-hmm. And everybody talked about how she was gushing about bad Brad Pitt. And that's not what she was doing. She was saying, where were you? We were trying to get you on the set. And here you finally are. We were trying <laughs> right. to get you on the set because we needed you for things. She's like, I wasn't gushing about him. I wasn't like. But people hear what they want to hear. Exactly. Particularly yeah. when it's not a white person talking. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, even even white women have a hard time getting the point across about white men. But anyway, for this for this final chapter for Black, I think it is very interesting that he starts going by the nickname that that Kevin gave him, because, you know, that's the other thing I want to say. And this speaks to who Chiron really is deep down. The fact that he actually goes there to this to this man who, when he was a teenager, broke him 
and hurt him in a way that changed him forever. And the fact that he goes there and really it's such an act of genuine forgiveness. And what's beautiful about that is you see that he's not yet ready to forgive his mother, but he's at the point where he can forgive Kevin and forgiveness is such a personal thing. And it's totally up to the person to forgive and forgiveness is not about forgetting. And I think it's so great that you do see this act of forgiveness where he goes there and he sits down and he eats with him and he it's very romantic and how when he goes up to the counter and Kevin doesn't even realize it's him at first and he doesn't say anything. You're just watching him going and you know that in his head, he's like, please let him know who I am. Please let him know who I am when he comes. And then when he finally does, it's like, it's this moment of relief. He's yes. just like, oh. <laughs> but, but just, he, because, you know, Kevin is distracted. He's, he's doing his, his waiter slash cook thing, which by the way, terribly understaffed. What is the deal there? I know. There's no family. <laughs> like he's cooking and serving and bussing. Like I hope that they're paying him triple because. Yeah. I don't think the there was a that? single person working there. No. <laughs> My gosh. But yeah, the, the second that he looks into his eyes, he knows exactly who it is. It doesn't take more than a second. And the look on Kevin's face Mm-hmm. And then he, he plays it off and, you know, he's he's being all like flirty and aloof and everything, but <sighs> it was still super cute. It was still super rom, uh, not, not, not rom-com because this is not a comedy for sure, but it's, <laughs> it's like a romance re-encounter moment. It's, it's like what somebody would write, like a really angsty fic. And this would be like towards the, the end of that very angsty fic, 100%. Mm-hmm. This is what it felt like. Yeah, very much. Very much. Just the looks. There's a little bit of nervousness from both of them. I, you know, Kevin does it differently. He plays it off. But there's still that nervousness there. Um, and what I do want to point out, though, earlier with uh, with the way Chiron is with his drug dealers, he is hard, but but he's also soft with them. I want to point that out because in the scene where he's accusing the drug dealer at first of skimming from him and taking more money or that the count isn't right. He does then end up being a little bit softer towards the end of that exchange where he does go, I'm just playing with you kind of thing. Yeah. But just imagine the terror. Oh no, he does. He is going through him. Yeah. But I did want to point that out that at least he has a little, I think it's part of it. It's because he's trying to be this tough guy. Like I said, he's trying to the fact that he's, I mean, his body is, is amazing. And, I think a lot of that is because he wanted to build his body up even more. And he wanted to be that strong person where mm-hmm. nobody's going to, nobody's going to force him down on the ground ever again. And right. now he's got that look. So yeah, he's going to instill that fear where they're going to respect him, but he'll also just be like, Oh no, 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 no. I, you know, but you're still going to respect me. You're never going to steal from me. So now you have this fear and you, you won't steal from me, but I'll also be not completely hard because I'm not a hard and tough person. It's just the facade I have. So, but here's yeah. the thing, because like my interpretation of it is that that's scarier. That's true. That's because true, it, it's it's well. the kind of thing. It's the kind of thing where abusive parents keep you on your toes, because they don't want you to see the chunkla coming. You know, they, they don't they don't want you to see that slap coming. It's like, is it going to hit me this time, 
okay, he didn't this time. I have to be more careful the next time so that he doesn't. So like that was my, more my interpretation because he is trying to yeah, keep people at at, um, at at arm's length. And that's a really good way to do it if they can't trust you mm-hmm. to, you know, to um, to treat them with uh, not even respect, but with faith that you're operating in good faith, in good faith, which I know I said faith twice, but you know, George Michael episode is coming up and I gotta yeah. have faith, the faith, the faith. Okay. So yeah, I just, I really ditto everything you said. I just, I, even though chapter one is my favorite chapter, I really love and appreciate this chapter so much because there are some romantic elements to it. I do want to point out, and this was something that Bailey said when she was tweeting about this. Okay, so Chiron says he does not drink. And Kevin pours him some wine and kind of pushes the wine on him. I don't know if they realize the fact that, really, if someone says they don't drink, don't push alcohol on them. That's not okay. Yeah, frankly, like it was, I was not cool with that either. Yeah, yeah. And I know Bailey pointed that out last night when during the tweet of it. That was not okay because you have no idea why that person doesn't drink. And that's the one thing about alcohol I want to say is I think alcohol is like the most acceptable drug next to caffeine. And so when you don't drink or if you don't aren't getting drunk, people like to just push. It. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Carlos, well, I was I was drinking a Cayman Jack margarita. <laughs> and Carlos got two white claws uh, because of Meg. I just miss her so much. (laughs) We don't have any men watching. But yeah, that was just not okay. You don't do that. So that was the one thing where I was like, Kevin. (laughs) Yeah. I think that that it was just used as an expository tool because because Chiron says that the reason that he doesn't bother with alcohol is because he can't really taste it. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if like that, you know, that beating kind of messed with his sense of of taste or smell or something like that like maybe bringing back a consequence mm-hmm. because that's the only thing that that I could think of that would make sense as to why they even did that yeah because it's like one of those you know like if you have a gun you have to to use it you know like if you have a person who's not drinking wine and you specifically mention that then you have to use it kind of similar but oh, I don't know I'm gonna shut up now bye <laughs> No, I think that's that that could very well be the case. I thought maybe he was saying that like he can't taste it. Like I was going like maybe he's worried about becoming an addict like his mom. That's where I was taking it from. But yeah, I mean, that's also a possibility. I just I just take things and really no, I extrapolate things that came out of nowhere, really. I think that's, that's how one. we end up on a lot of tangents. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good one. That's a good one. So yes, <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's go to that final scene between Chiron and Kevin. <laughs> I can already tell. <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so it ends up at this really hopeful place, and they're holding each other. Look how much more fanfic can you get? <laughs> Although in the fanfic world, you get you would get a ripped a new one, and then you would oh you yeah, know, people would be demanding new chapters. Like, are you gonna post any more? How about any codas? You know, like are you gonna do any timestamps? No, there are no timestamps. This is a movie, not a fic. 
I am saying this to myself because I really want timestamps or a coda or something. I bet it's out there. I bet it's out there. Oh, don't make me go looking. I'll, I'll fall into a rabbit hole. But yeah, it, it ends up. Okay. So, so there's, you know, they don't end up like making out or anything. They don't make up like naked in bed together or anything. It's just Kevin holding Chiron as Chiron just lets himself be. And that is, that is exactly what you want for him. The entire film, you want somebody to hold him. You want somebody to accept him exactly for who he is. And that's where the movie ends. And if that's not a fabulous ending, I don't know what is because he finally gets the love that he deserves. And yeah, it may not be a moment where like they're swearing eternal love to each other or where they're, you know, walking down the aisle together. That doesn't matter. Chiron has finally had that that soft physical intimacy, that acceptance, that full-hearted acknowledgement of who he is on the inside, deep down on the inside. And that's all I wanted for him the entire movie. I, I think whether you're looking at, at young Chiron in the little part, if you're looking at teen Chiron, and we've talked about how we just wanted to, you know, jump into the screen and hold him and tell him everything's going to be okay. Things were not going to be okay. And Kevin gets that. Kevin gets that their lives are difficult. Their lives are, are different. And he's there for him. He may not have been for him there for him before. He couldn't put himself in the place to be there. But now there he is. And he... Chiron has a place where he can just openly just be and wherever things may take them beyond that moment, you know, in a way I don't need to see anymore. Like, you know, I am an excited fangirl and I love happy endings and I love, you know, full on romantic, beautiful things. But if this is, the, the last scene and all we get is Chiron being held and loved for who he is, I will take it. I'll take it and I will run because that's all I wanted for him all along anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, like Bailey said, it is a moment that it em- emphasizes that sex is not the thing that makes us human connection makes us human. And that, and then Bailey also says the lack of sexual action is important. It's not a sexual need. It's an emotional need. Yeah, you know, he's Sharon has gone through so much his entire life. Kevin has gone through so much. And it's 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 just beautiful seeing two grown black men being able to just be soft with each other. Because th- that's one thing that I think maybe some people may not be really cognizant of as they're watching this movie is that you know, coming out is hard, but a lot of the time in, if you're black, it can be harder. And there's so much less acceptance of black male love or even softness that it makes, and, and uh, you know, independent of a community, but I'm just talking also about in the world at large, because, you know, going back to, to Juan and his portrayal, where he himself is a soft dude who, yes, he's dealing drugs, but he's also 
asking one of his dealers how his mom is. And he's, he's taking in this boy and trying to mentor him simply because he sees that there's a need for that. And even if, you know, with or without sexual, sexual tension, with or without romantic feelings, it's still a very necessary scene. Yes. Yes. To every single. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and the fact that right before it even happens, you know, Chiron says no one else has ever touched him. He's the only man that's ever touched him. Which is just so, so sad and so heartbreaking. But it's also, there's also this moment of being completely and totally vulnerable and open and letting that big wall that he's built up down. And just being like, I'm going to be completely open and vulnerable with you because I trust you, even though you hurt me in a big way. That's what's so amazing is this is a person that really hurt him and broke his heart. And yet he's still like, no, I'm st- I am still want to be with you. I still want some affection from you. And it doesn't have to be sexual. It doesn't have, but some kind of intimacy. And I think that their moment in a way is even more intimate than sex. Because it is this moment that he hasn't had since that moment on the beach. He hasn't had any kind of touch or affection like that. And so here he is getting it finally from the man that he loves and trusts. And just having that moment of being able to rest his head on his shoulder and being held and not being treated like crap for being vulnerable He's just beautiful all all around. And And exactly, you know, like it is just a moment of trust. It's a moment of extreme vulnerability where, you know, he he has really built a wall around himself Mm -hmm. down to his body. His body is a wall from the world. And here he is making himself vulnerable in the most just complete way because sex is sex. And you can have sex with, anybody but you can't have that trust with just anybody mm-hmm. and he really just gives him, gives himself to Kevin in that moment and it oh, just thinking about that scene like I'm just playing it in my head and how wonderful and affectionate and and um, accepting like th- that is a big word for me that acceptance that Chiron has needed his entire life and yeah he had acceptance from from Juan and from Teresa, but he also had that big block with them mm-hmm. and that their, you know, their lifestyle is part of what's fueling his misery. And yes, Kevin helped fuel his misery further, but he understands at least why Kevin did that. He, I mean, he himself could have turned him in and he didn't do that because he gets it. He gets it and Kevin gets him. And that mm-hmm. at the end of the day is what really, really matters in that connection. It's so beautiful. And even the last shot of when you see Chiron as a boy on the beach and he looks back and basically breaks that wall and looks at, looks at us, the audience. It's That's a beautiful, the way that's shot. I just want to briefly say the cinematography in this movie Oh, it is so so breathtakingly beautiful. It's those certain shots and like the shot when 
Kevin and Chiron are on the beach and you just see Chiron's hand in the sand, gripping the sand. Oh, just even that little, it's just the cinematography. Well, is so it, and this is, you know, back around the time when we start having shows like Insecure and movies like Moonlight, where they're actually shooting black people with lighting that works for black people. Because in most movies, the lighting is, is there to flatter white complexions to, mm-hmm. And, if, and then anybody else doesn't really matter. They're just kind of there anyway. But this movie that has almost exclusively black actors and insecure, similarly, the lighting is everything. Because a lot of the times when you're watching a movie, like the the lighting helps to to set the mood, to get you into the the, the mm-hmm. spirit of where the characters are emotionally. Same with with music and with. But but lighting makes such a, dif- a big difference. And the fact that this was specifically geared to highlight the features of Black people and to bring out this, you know, all of, all of this emotional, um, to highlight the emotional depth of what was going on. It, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's so beautiful that, and, and it's also very sad that it's, you know, how many years into movie making in general and it's not until like the 2010s that we really start seeing progress in the way that black people are portrayed, not only in, as a character, but also through the lighting. Which is why, again, it's important to have not just white people involved, although this is James Laxton, and I believe actually James Laxton uh, is a white man. But still, it's important that you have people uh, behind the scenes and people that are in charge uh, that are not just white people and people do learn how to have everybody deserves to be lit in a way that works and that is flattering. And he also does the cinematography and Barry Jenkins other amazing film. If Beale street could talk, which is another beautiful, beautiful heartbreaking movie as well. Uh, but I highly recommend that too. Yeah. The cinematography is so gorgeous. And I want to talk about now, I just want to talk about the direction and then we'll get into the Oscar win because it is important to talk about the Oscar win. So Barry Jenkins, who, what are your thoughts on Barry Jenkins? I'm just going to say that. What are your thoughts on Barry Jenkins? Cause he's just, uh, just love him. So, well, okay. So, you know me, I'm not as knowledgeable about, <laughs> about direction, but I did do some research because I wanted to be thorough. And so I landed on talking about both Barry Jenkins and uh, Terrell Alvin McCreaney, because you can't have the movie at all without uh, Terrell Alvin McCreaney's mm-hmm. um, script in the first place. And yeah, it, it's great that, that um, he was able to pair up with Barry Jenkins, who had a lot of similar experiences growing up. So they were able to work from a similar point of view. Um, but without Terrell, nothing else would have would have worked out because it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even have even had a script. And you know, I keep going back to, to Juan only because, well, first of all, it's a, it's a great character, but also because the movie starts out with with Juan, not Chiron. We get to Chiron very quickly thereafter, but it starts out with Juan and the drug deal. And so in so T- Terrell McCraney, he 
had a um, a mentor similar to to Juan growing up, and he was a boyfriend of his mother's, and he they called him Blue, which I think ties into the whole Moonlight, and and black boys and blue. It's yeah. it's the Moonlight can make black boys aspire to be somebody as lovely as blue, somebody who will take care of you, who will protect you, who will care about you and embrace you. So when Barry Barry Jenkins comes into the picture, he honors all of that, which I think is so important because I, you know, reading about this and this process, it really strikes me that Barry Jenkins could have come in and said, okay, well, that's cute, but here are the things that I'm going to get rid of. And he, he doesn't. He carries them into his heart and throughout the film. And I had also read that Barry Jenkins pretty much, he himself wrote the third act, the, the, the part with Black. And the fact that, that it carries so seamlessly through you know, connecting through from the beginning to the end speaks to that uh, relationship that can only be forged if you have grown up under similar circumstances. I mean, Barry Jenkins went to to the same school just a year earlier Mm -hmm. than Terrell McCraney, which is, you know, wow. Um, We talk about the, the whole thing with serendipity and there it is again. Um, so they have all these shared life experiences and, and how Barry Jenkins communicates that through the adaptation of the screenplay and through the, the directing, he, he really carries in him the idea that this movie is about, you know, being black, being gay, being poor, growing up in the projects, um, growing up among drug dealers. But more importantly, it's about Chiron. It's about this one person. So it is both expansive and very um, intimate, which is a hell of a feat. And I don't think that, that you, you, you can have the, the best screenplay. You can have the best material from which to base it. But if you don't have somebody to make that vision come alive, then it's all worthless. And, so I, I think that this movie worked out exactly the way that it was supposed to. You know, if if you're believing in the divine, then there was like some carrying grace that allowed all of these ingredients to come together to make this beautiful, just perfect movie. It's really just, oh, it just moves my heart in ways that I didn't know my heart could be moved. And that doesn't really speak to, uh, you know, the process of directing, but that's not my problem. I'm just here to say that I loved it. Well, that just speaks to the fact that uh, he did his job as a director. If yeah, yeah, what she said. <laughs> if he made you love the movie and made you feel the movie, that is part of his job is to make you connect to this movie, make you, um, you know, feel what you're supposed to be feeling. And the fact that he did, once again, I'm going to plug that Terry Gross interview because I think that interview with both of them is so great and wonderful. And the fact that she interviewed both Barry Jenkins and Terrell Alvin McCraney was so important because 
you wouldn't have this movie, of course, without Terrell Alvin McCraney. And even though Barry Jenkins did help write the screenplay and all of that, it still came from the play. Um, and which the play is actually in Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. That's actually the full name of the play. So just to put that out there too, which is un, was unproduced. I don't know if it's ever, I don't think it ever has been since then. I don't know. Um, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I'm looking up to see, but I didn't see anywhere where it has. So yeah. Um, but anyway, it's, it just, he's a very skilled director in the fact that, you know, he, he lets, he lovingly has cared for this script and this story. So basically a lot of the way that, you know, screenwriters like to put it or writers like to put it is they've given birth to this child and they give it to somebody else to raise if they're not directing it themselves. So even though Barry Jenkins also is a writer on this, I just want to say that too, but Terrell Alvin McCraney gave this his baby, which was so personal for him too, since it was so much about his life as well. There's so many things from this that he drew on and gave it to, to Barry Jenkins and Barry Jenkins raised his baby beautifully and respected everything that he was trying to get across in this movie. And I think it's also because they just, they were just, they were connected so well and they had so many similar things growing up and, and like you said, they had that one year in between. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty incredible. That's like kismet and fate, whatever your beliefs are. I mean, it really is incredible that that happened that way. Uh, but yeah, Barry Jenkins not only did that, but he also, I think, is is so great with his actors. He always has amazingly talented actors around him anyway. But he allows them the opportunity to be as vulnerable as possible, I think, and gives them that freedom. And even though he didn't want the actors playing Chiron, he didn't want them to meet. I think in a way that was kind of a blessing for them, kind of like, okay, I trust you enough that you are going to be able to take this character and know how to play this character because the screenplay is strong enough, because you're a strong enough actor that you won't need to rely on meeting with the other actors playing you because I know you'll be able to do it yourself. Um, I don't know. Everything I've heard about him is that he's a great director and there are no like, you know, stories of like how impossible it is to work with him as an actor. And you can tell that you can tell how much he loves the craft. You can tell how much he loves story and he loves character for me. And this is why I love a lot of independent films is they're so character driven. And this movie is very much a character study. This movie is like you said, Carl, this is Chiron's story. This is about him. It's all about his character. And when you have movies like that, I think sometimes people tend to tend to think that the directing isn't as masterful because of the fact that you don't have big explosions and you don't have big things that may seem like, you know, director's showcase because you're showcasing the performances and you're showcasing the characters. But I think that takes a lot, that takes a totally different skill because you have to be able to kind of, I don't, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but kind of leave an ego behind of being like, I'm going to focus on what's important and what's important is these character is this character and telling his story and telling his struggles and making it relatable to the audience, to anyone who sees this movie and to make them feel and make them connect. And that's why I say you saying that Carla totally what that says is 
he did his job. He completely did his job. I don't think there's, <laughs> I don't think there's a wrong moment in this movie. Honestly, I, I can't think of one. Um, I also think I really always want to say, watch if Beale Street could talk too. I think that's still on Hulu, hopefully, but definitely watch that one because that's also beautiful. That's also um, an, it's also very hard to watch. It's also tragedy as well, but there's a lot of beauty in that movie. Um, and you'll also see how Scully's. I have not watched the Underground Railroad yet. I know that uh, Tiff, who was on here, have you watched it yet, Carla? No. No, I haven't been able to get into that that space where I can mm-hmm. say to myself, okay, I, I can sit down and watch this and not like curl up into a ball for 15 weeks. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, and Tiff said she was probably, I don't know if she's watched a second episode yet, but she said she was not, she did not recommend binging it. She had only watched one episode when she talked about it on, on an episode a couple weeks ago when she recommended it. So I don't know if she's watched a second one yet or not, but yeah, yeah. It's just, he's just one of the most talented directors out there. And he directs my kind of stuff. Like we are eventually going to talk about indie films on here because I just have hesitated because I don't know how many of my panelists would be joining there. It would just be me mainly. Uh, (laughs) Then I can just spend the whole thing going, okay. Let's talk about loose. Let's talk about waves. Let's talk about- <laughs> just talk about all of your favorite movies. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll just be talking about really, really obscure ones that probably no one has seen, <laughs> like this movie called Passenger Side with Adam Scott. <laughs> I have never heard of it, but I will cheer for it. I watched it at a, a film festival, and I don't think it was ever even released in a theater. Maybe it was. I don't know. I own the DVD, but. <laughs> Or The Vicious Kind, also with Adam Scott. Because everyone associates Adam Scott with comedy. I don't. I associate him with indie dramas. <laughs> That's and even though I don't like Jeremy Renner anymore, there are some great indie films that he was in that I own. <laughs> and no one has seen that made maybe like $10 total. <laughs> oh my gosh, you cracked me up. Because, you know... You're like, okay, these are my favorite actors. And also these other 14. <laughs> I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> these actors, oh, well, but I also love this actor and this actor. Mm-hmm. And how about this actor? And then you're like, okay, let's, let, you know what? I should do an episode about this actor. And then next thing you know, you mention him, you're mentioning him every episode. And then you're making bingo squares about that actor. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> just wait till I do my Kelvin Harrison Jr. episode. <laughs> that one. That one is going to be. A, well, we're going to do a special episode coming up in November. Just, it still seems very weird to me that I did this, but <laughs> it's just an episode just to celebrate me on my birthday. <laughs> hey, you know what? You absolutely deserve it. Well, aw, thanks. And, 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 and that, that, that's one character that we can all agree on. Aw. Thank you. Universally <laughs> beloved. There you go. Aww. Yeah, but when we do that one, I'll probably be like, okay, so uh, <laughs> so now I'm going to talk about every independent movie that I love. <laughs> I'm going to make us all watch Waves and Loose. And oh we're going to watch Silver Linings Playbook. Okay, are you also going to pay for our therapy, board? though? 
I know, I know, especially after Waves. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Well, Waves is on Showtime. So is Moonlight. So do a double feature and then you're going to be really wrecked. I'll be dehydrated from all the crying. Yeah, I recommend watching Waves first and then Moonlight because oh because it may be hard to believe, but Moonlight is a lot lighter than Waves. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, so I have been duly warned. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so basically, okay, here's my, my, my list for watching those movies. Okay. Um, be able to take off the next day from work. <laughs> um, invest in Kleenex stock. <laughs> Buy a few gallons of water. Yeah. For the dehydration. Here, I'll give you an order that you can watch some of my most recent favorite movies. Like, <laughs> okay. So you want to start really, really the heaviest. So you have to start with Waves because Waves is the heaviest. And then, then you can go to Moonlight. And then we'll go a little bit lighter for a second. And you can all of a sudden go into Rocket Man, which will be quite <laughs> <laughs> That's way lighter. Yeah. And then... You just keep the music going. You go to A Star is Born. And then <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, such a light film. It's, it's, yeah. it's all fluff. Yeah, especially the end, you know. <laughs> yes, total fluff. What happens to Jackson is completely fluffy and light. What, he goes to the circus? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he goes to the circus. He goes to the circus. <laughs> he, he, he decides to become a, a, a clown. And so he goes to circus. And then eventually he goes to Disney World. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's the version yeah. that I saw. <laughs> yes, that's what I saw, too. Okay, yes, cool. Yes. And Allie and Jackson live happily ever after. So happily ever after. <laughs> so happily. <laughs> Nothing bad happens. No. And they have the cutest dog. Who, if yes. You didn't know, that dog is actually Bradley Cooper's real-life dog. Oh. <laughs> so, see, with, with with all of that, nothing bad can happen in the end. Exactly, exactly. What on earth? <laughs> and then you go from that. So then you're going from A Star is Born. And then you can watch Loose. So you can see. So I'm kind of breaking up the Kelvin Harrison Jr. Uh, <laughs> award-worthy performances. Because Waves and Loose are two of the best performances of the past decade. I don't care what anyone says. They are. And if you disagree, you're wrong. <laughs> no two panelists agree or never come back. Yeah, yeah. And Loose is another one that's adapted from a play. Okay. So, you know, you got that. And then you'll go from Loose. Then you can watch. You can keep the Kelvin Harrison Jr. love going for a little bit here. <laughs> and go watch It Comes at Night, which more people need to watch that movie because it's a great, great horror movie. No, I don't think it is on Shudder. Shh. Those people get Shudder first. Oh, no, it is on Shudder. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them that you sent them. And then, and then you can go and watch one of the best horror movies of the last decade, Sinister. So go watch Sinister. I don't know if you should end your night with that one, but <laughs> although you've been up for over 24 hours by now, it might be light. Right. You've been up for over 24 hours <laughs> and you definitely have, have a um, reliable psychiatrist on, on file. Yeah. You know, speed dial, ready to go. Because sinister, a sinister scares the crap out of 
movies. <laughs> oh my god! I watched okay, the well, horror movies. You. You mentioned some horror movies. <laughs> Even though you got bingo, you could get double bingo. I don't know. <laughs> it does. It terrifies me. I watched it. Like it was on Netflix last Halloween, and I was like, "Oh, I should watch this right before I go to bed," and that's exactly what I did. I'm like this is not a smart <laughs> idea. <laughs> that's a daylight, all the lights on movie. Yeah, so I should probably saying. think of something light to end it with. <laughs> well, I mean, you could end your night with that with that um, small indie production that I've heard of called Eurovision. I knew. I was like, is she going to mention Eurovision? I'm like, where's Eurovision? No, I will. I will mention on Shudder, you know, we love Josh Rubin on this podcast. So yes. you can watch Scare Me. So that'll be lighter. <gasps> Scare Me is fantastic. Yes. Yes. And that's that's got some humor, some funniness. Your night with Scare Me. There you go. See? And say, what what a perfect, it wouldn't be a full night. <laughs> You'd have to do this over again. <laughs> Whole day, but that's how you in the night. Yes, yes. So I'm very excited for Werewolves Within. Giving a shout out. <gasps> I can't wait for that one. Yes, yes. I'm gonna watch the. Uh, I got a ticket for the virtual, because uh, it's gonna be at the Tribeca Film Festival, and I don't. Mm. And so you can also watch it virtual. I don't know if there's still tickets for that, but um, so I'll be watching it virtually towards the end. Yes, I needed to, I needed to design your perfect 24 48 hour movie binge with most of the stuff was super depressing, but we yes. ended it with Eurovision and scare me. So you're not so you're ending it lighter. Right. <laughs> so you may only need like, yeah. like, you know, a few months of sessions <laughs> with your therapist as opposed to yes, exactly. <laughs> as opposed to a few years. Yeah. Okay, so I do want to go back to Moonlight. <laughs> let us all yes, let's do that. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about the Oscar win because even though it was sadly, you know, overshadowed by the whole mix-up of calling the wrong name, and even though since that win, I would argue it hasn't. <laughs> that didn't really. I think people thought, "Well, Moonlight won. That's going to change everything with the Oscars." Nah, didn't happen. Sadly, but this is the first LGBT plus film and the first film featuring an all black cast to win the Academy Award for best picture. So it is very significant that this film won. So I don't want to say that isn't significant just because it is pretty incredible. I remember when I remember that night, right? Cause I remember when they announced, you know, La La Land and then it ended up being, cause I remember I was like, oh, okay. And I was actually going to even turn off the TV and then <laughs> it was like, whoa, no, it was actually Moonlight, which it's sad that that took away from right. been an incredible moment, but it still is incredible. So were you, did you watch the Academy Awards that night? I watched part of it. And I do remember that moment. I don't know if, if it's because like there was like a, a quick replay that night, but I do remember watching that night that that happened. Mm -hmm. And I was just completely dismayed. Like, Oh my god! I and mean, first of all, what an embarrassment to not read the, the card correctly. But also that you know that. Oh, I mean, it 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 just kind of mirrors a lot of real world world experiences where black people excel and they're so overshadowed, undeservedly. 
and this is what would happen here. You know, Moonlight won. Mm-hmm. It's a spectacular movie. It deserved every award and then some. It wins. And all people can talk about when they're talking about the Oscar win is remember remember when Warren Beatty read, uh, read La La Land instead of Moonlight? I mean, to, to have that like kind of like an asterisk on your big win, it, it's so deflating. You know, it, it's like when, it, it, you know, if um, I, it, there are probably like a million examples of, oh, remember when this black person did something amazing? Yes, but do you remember the white person who did something else that really is the main focal point of, of that achievement? It's like, well, no, that's not how that works. But yeah, it totally is. So yeah, it. I, in short, yes, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, it is so sad. It's just like, okay, you know. And I know that Barry Jenkins recently said that it really kind of soured the whole experience for him too, which is yeah. even sadder because. Well, yeah, I mean, like that. That's that's just really awful. It's a really awful thing when it should have been their night. And that's all that should have mattered. We should have been revel- reveling in their win. And all anybody can talk about was, no, La La Land won. And so many people who were saying, no, Moonlight didn't actually win. You know, it was actually La La Land. Because there are always people who will deny Black people a victory when they can throw in like a flag on the play. Or some, you know, perceived technicality, just, you know, anything to to steal that thunder. It, it reminds me of um, Tarana Burke and the Me Too movement and yeah. Elsa mm-hmm. Milano taking a lot of the credit for it until she was called out so much that she couldn't avoid being like, oh, my bad. And even then it was still, you know, the Tarana Burke Me Too movement featuring Elsa Milano. Mm-hmm. And this just feels similar. Like, it, this was Barry Jenkins... And his his uh, his efforts, and um, Terrell Alvin um, McCreary's uh, win, <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. and to have all of that just kind of on, under under the shadow of being forever tied to this very very white movie, it's got to be excru- excruciating. Because honestly, like if they had, if it had been like a mistake like this with a movie that wasn't so lily white, maybe wouldn't have stung as much. Maybe, maybe. It's, a, it's still a big maybe, but wow. Mm-hmm. It's just really awful. Yeah, and, and you know, it plays into that whole, you know, that, that whole video that I've talked about before that I wish I could remember words talking about, you know, the whole, it even plays with the whole white savior trope without actually being like, <laughs> because it, 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 you know, in that movie, the, I don't know if it's even called White Savior, the movie. I can't remember what that little parody thing is called. But in that movie, every single moment, this white man is trying to usurp what this black woman is doing throughout the whole little faux trailer. You know, even like, look, I adjusted your microphone. I'm a hero. (laughs) And it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's really sad because it is a, it is history making. It is amazing. You know, it's like, you know, with the with the LGBTQIA angle with it, it did what unfortunately Brokeback Mountain wasn't able to do. So it also did that because, you know, as everybody knows, 
Crash won the year that Brokeback Mountain was supposed to win, or should have won, I should say. <laughs> no, it should. It absolutely I'm should have supposed won. Supposed to should have. Yeah, I mean, you're you're not lying though, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crash like, yeah. is being even nominated. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, and then of course when Green Book happened, that almost was worse than. Crash, we shall so. not speak of it. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was an incredible thing. It was very. I mean, my jaw was like, because the fact that this movie was even nominated for any awards was pretty remarkable. Honestly, that was pretty right. amazing. Right. So it's mm-hmm. it's just, oh, it couldn't have happened at a worse time to a movie. Oh my gosh. I mean, all of the significance got buried under this. You know, this is a movie that that deals so brilliantly with um with stereotype mm-hmm. with microaggressions with with homophobia and with incarceration and love and queerness all of that 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 movie meant and the expectations and the barriers that that it that I, I don't even there's just too many words to put into how frustrating it is that all that we can really think about now when we talk about the Oscar win is freaking La La Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I'm one of the few people that actually really didn't. I actually liked that movie. I see the issues and the problems with it galore. But in the long run, the movie that has more impact, that's better, that's better done, that's better written, better directed, better acted, all all that jazz is, and I didn't mean to say jazz, because like, <laughs> I really La La was about jazz. Uh, yeah, what, are you, what are you hidden? You know, what's the hidden message here, Erin? Are you secretly <laughs> trying to throw a nod to La La Land? Are you, are you a La La Land truther? A La La Land truther? <laughs> Are there low? There probably are. <laughs> There's like an underground channel somewhere, just you know, justice for La La Land. Yeah. Uh, Where they're trying to like just steal back for La La Land. the Oscar that is rightfully theirs. There probably is. There probably honestly is that. So I wouldn't be surprised. Not, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. But. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I do think I really think you know when when Green Book won a couple of years later, I honestly think that winning was almost in response to this winning, uh, because I will say the next year you did have uh, Get Out winning for Best Original Screenplay. I believe it was the very next year you had that winning, which was pretty incredible too. That was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. But then you keep having stuff happening where it's <laughs> Green yeah. Book. And then, and then you have like Bohemian Rhapsody, which, oh my <sighs> God. The fact that you have someone win for that, I'm sorry. I know a lot of people love, and Ready I'm not, now? thank you. I'm like, I was trying to say Mally, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> mean sorry i was and i and hey he's a good actor yes but the fact that you have him win for a performance that i'm sorry comparatively you don't even have and i'm sorry this is this is going to that white person thing but you then you don't have taron edgerton win for doing something a million times better no there's no disputing it there listen the next year not i really i really enjoyed rami malek's performance i thought it was great 
And nothing on Taron Edgerton as Elton John and Rocket Man. Yeah, or Calvin Harrison Jr. in Loose or in Waves. <laughs> <laughs> or George Clooney in no, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> we did talk about everything pretty much that I we wanted to talk about with Moonlighter that I did, unless there was something you really just are dying to add in, Carla, because otherwise I'll so, go into my Let me just thing. clear for two minutes. Okay. Okay. Well, while, while Carla is looking, uh, just another plug that we are going to be starting our epic horror trivia. I'm plugging it way in advance because signups are going to start on August 1st. This is going to be a team event. So we're going to do teams of it's at this point, it's looking just like teams of two, but I might expand that to teams of two to four. I will definitely let everybody know really soon because we're going to have our first meeting about this. I mean, the podcast people, not everybody in the world. <laughs> we're going to have our first meeting discussing this and discussing um, how this is going to go and different things. But we already have the genres that we're going to cover. So basically, it'll be a 10-week thing. So this is a long event. And every week for 10 weeks, we're going to do a live stream that will be basically just a trivia live stream. We're going to have guests on. I haven't reached out to a lot of these guests yet, so I'm hoping. <laughs> this is like in my. We're going to have Christian Bale and Kevin yeah. Harrison Jr. There's <laughs> Clooney's planning on popping by. I heard from, from Barry Watson's people, the zombie tiger will be there. The cast, the entire cast of Eurovision. <laughs> I think Carla would faint. I would. I'd be so excited. Like, oh, hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> the entire cast of Eurovision. <laughs> no, but I do have people actually on the list. But I just want to also put it out. I just keep putting it out there because it's going to be there. It's going to be here before you know it. So I want people to keep an eye on that. And there'll be more information coming really soon. In July, I'm going to be doing another promo video for it. Uh, but throwing it out there, if you are a podcaster that covers horror and you'd like to be on, I have some people that I will be reaching out to. But if you want to reach out to me first before I reach out to you, feel free to do that. You can email, uh, DM me, however you want to do that. If you are a creator, if you're a horror creator, I'm talking everything. You make movies, you write, you're in it, you do fan art, you do uh, posters, anything like that. And you would like to be on one of these 10 weeks episodes and be part of the hosting thing, like co-host with me. Or if you have an item that you would want to potentially donate or depending on how much it costs, I can buy it and put it in our prize goodie pack that we'll have toward, at the end for the person who wins the whole thing um, or the team that wins the whole thing, reach out to us as well. I just want this to be as fun and as inclusive as possible. So I also want it to be a way for people to promote themselves as well. And the weeks we're going to be covering are, and I haven't decided the order yet, but it's going to be zombies, werewolves, vampires, horror comedy, aliens, uh, slashers, um, body horror. Uh, I know I'm forgetting some. I'm sorry. <laughs> forgetting a bunch. But anyway, it's going to be a bunch of them, a lot of fun. So keep an eye out for that. And um, Carla, did you have a chance to browse through your notes? Yeah, I had already said it. So never mind. Okay. Yeah, it was just uh, um, the point about how Terrell Alvin McCreary pointedly wrote 
Kwan as a as a drug dealer, specifically to subvert the the connotations that or the ideas that one would have coming into a film seeing a drug dealer of the you know the machismo and the the evil I guess the the, the badness the badness and everything because there, there's more to one to one person that you could really see and then Barry Jenkins carry that into the movie and opened you know the movie opens with that scene and it's very important because not only does that subvert your expectations of what Juan is and who he is it also sets you up to be constantly surprised by the your expectations because it also makes you think to yourself wow I really had really crappy preconceived notions of who these people were yeah, exactly. That's why it was so, so important to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going <laughs> to, it's, it's been another short episode anyway. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and close out. <laughs> so Carla, where can they find you and your wonderful, okay. Your wonderful okay. I'm just like, I'm trying so hard not to laugh right now. I'm trying to be a serious podcaster. So I'm a very serious podcaster and you can find the podcast that I have with my bestie Meg. It's called Bed, Wet or Behead. You can find us wherever you find fine, classy podcasts about, you know, doing, marrying and killing people. Um, <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter at Bed, Wet, Behead Pod, on Instagram at bed.wet.behead.pod, on Facebook, Bed, Wet, Behead bed wet or behead podcast and just you know like look us up check us out we're a good time we're a good time um (laughs) sorry okay and this is aaron and before i do where you can find me and and the podcast not just me (laughs) i'll be watching you hey that that was really creepy part where they did that in the Lucifer musical. I just want to say, yeah, <laughs> like why would you choose a song about stalking to to talk about like parent child relationships? What? Yeah, that was a little bit that's weird. weird. <laughs> that was really creepy. Okay, so couple of things. Remember, we are nominated, so vote for us for best TV film podcast for quite the thing media awards. That's the link. Um, you can just type that in or you can go to the show notes. It'll be there too. Uh, also next week's live stream is going to be about George Michael. So <laughs> let us know your favorite George Michael song really quickly, Bailey, before, before I do my close out, just type in there in the comments if you have a favorite George Michael song. But no, we're going to talk about George Michael. That's going to be a lot of fun. We are also, Carla's going to return for that one. And we are also going to have Jesse from Sudden But Inevitable is going to be joining us as well. So <laughs> we love yes. Jesse. Yes, we do love Jesse. So Jesse will be joining us for that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited for that one. Bailey, you can follow Bailey's TikTok. <laughs> it's in the comments at B-A-W-L-E-Y underscore bug. Okay, well, this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter where I'm still mourning the loss of Carla's Queerest Folk tweets. So I haven't been tweeting much from there because Carla's kind of breaking my heart these past <laughs> weeks. 
So it's been very difficult to go on that account <laughs> because I just mourn the fact that I think it's because she's worried she's going to start liking Brian in season two. So she's like, I'm just going to stop watching. <laughs> I don't I'm afraid like that, that if I catch up, that I'll end up signing myself up for the Queers Folk episode and then it'll end up being four hours long. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty, the E and the A and the B are capitalized. And you can, you know, mourn with me the loss of Carla discovering my favorite show. <laughs> of course, I still haven't watched Eurovision. I know I have totally failed at my back here. You can follow the show on Twitter, which is where I do most of my tweeting, at FandomThingPod. No, it's in that one. <laughs> follow like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you would like to participate in the horror event that I, I mean, as someone who will help with being on the panels, I do want people to dress up in theme for whatever that week's theme is. Doesn't mean you have to be a werewolf for the werewolf theme. You can be some character in the werewolf movie or something. Doesn't that mean you have to be a vampire? Doesn't mean you have to be a zombie necessarily, but just in theme for that, if you're comfortable with that, you have to be comfortable. Being on YouTube, uh, being live, which means there's lots of errors and mistakes that could happen, but you have to be comfortable with that. So please feel free to reach out to us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. If you don't want to be on there, but you have an item you might want to donate or you might want to talk to me about and see if we want to put it in the prize thing, please feel free to reach out there as well. Uh, but on our next episode, which will be on Friday, we are going to be talking about Brokeback Mountain. And Brokeback Mountain, right now it's the 29th. If you're watching on here, if you're listening to this, sorry, it's already passed. That's going to be on Netflix until the 31st of May. What were you thinking, Netflix? <laughs> what in the world were you thinking? Yeah, just I mean, dump you it before take it Pride Month. You take it off right before Pride starts, like exactly the day before. Whatever. That's so absolutely ludicrously stupid. Anyway, so if you haven't watched Brokeback Mountain, and if you or if you need a rewatch, you have a couple of days to watch it and do because, of course, we're going to spoil things. And I didn't really cry like I thought I would on this. I kind of teared up a lot, but I didn't really cry. But I probably will cry in Brokeback Mountain because we're going to talk about Heath Ledger. And I always cry when I talk about Heath Ledger because Heath Ledger was one of the best actors we had around. And we sadly lost Heath Ledger. So I will probably cry in that. And also... You know, I'll probably I'll be talking about a experience watching this movie in the theater because I was actually living in Wichita when this movie came out. And I still blows my mind I ever lived in Wichita, but I lived there for a year. And it was a very interesting experience to watch this movie in a theater in a very conservative, you know, it seemed pretty conservative. <laughs> I don't know if I'm wrong area of the of the country so anyway so that will be our next episode and then next week we will be doing live stream talking about george michael and then we'll be talking about the show orange is the new black and i'm very excited for all the stuff we're gonna be talking about on pride month so until next time remember it's a fandom thing black lives matter and stop asian hate Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Temis. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. 
Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos, and our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, podcast listener, do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.